don't do this, don't do that, because he needed to make those mistakes to learn, to be able to now today sit back and be able to give other people the benefit of those mistakes that I've made. Welcome to another episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of The Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Michelin star Akhtar Islam, who tells us about his time growing up in Birmingham and how he was working at his father's restaurant, wasn't really that interested in school and left with no formal qualifications, yet opened his own restaurant, The Sand, when he was 22 years old. He's won a number of awards, including Best Local Restaurant on Gordon Ramsay's F Word and inclusion in the Sunday Times Top 100 UK Restaurants. He's got some very insightful views on the hospitality industry and the subject of well-being and mental health. And I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, which again, I know I say every single year, but each guest brings a completely different and unique viewpoint to this topic of well-being and to hospitality. So as always, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and let's get started. Lamb Weston are your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. How's it going? Yeah, good, 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 good. It is, it is what it is. We're in the situation we're in. Got to make it work. Yeah, but I mean, there's light at the end of the tunnel now, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not far off. We, um, we don't have outside space, so we're gonna have to wait till, uh, till, till May. But we're using that time productively because uh, we're actually putting a brand new kitchen into a theme. So that's a nice little project for everyone to get involved in. So, uh, whereas when we did the first kitchen, I designed it all myself whereas now everyone's getting involved because we've got a uh, a solid team who've you know been with us from day one really and very much part and parcel of uh of of the business so uh it's nice for them to basically put a kitchen together that they can all say they've built and and, and you know it's yeah it's something that that's that they, they they can take some ownership of that's pretty cool. I mean, I've I've heard of uh, designing dishes and designing menus together, but putting a whole kitchen together—that's a that's a step up in the direction that is. Yeah, no, it's got to, it's like, at the end of the day, it's, it's about giving people that opportunity to 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 own it. It's it's theirs, and it makes them really think about future progression. You know how, where they want to see, you know, the restaurant going and understanding the journey that we have to go through and the infrastructure that has to be in place. So it's not just about um, what we're doing for the upcoming menu. It's like, what, how will we be cooking in two years time? Have we allowed for that? Uh, starting to understand the ergonomics of the space and, 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 and how we work. And, and, and because these are the guys delivering the goodies every day and, and they, they understand the, the, the limitations or the problems that, can be caused from a kitchen that's not designed because a lot of people they often get kitchen designers in and 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 they often leave them to it and just guide them a little bit but then these kitchen designers don't work in your kitchen 
So they don't actually know what works and what doesn't. So this way it allows the lads to put together something that they know works for them. And ultimately at the end of it, they can also say, this, this is, this is my station. I designed my station. This is my, my area. And I designed this. This is mine. They've got ownership of it. So yeah, it's, it's nice. And I've got a, the way I run my businesses, it's not, it's not about me. You know, I'm, I'm basically the guy it's built around, but it's everyone's business. And that's, that's how my businesses are built. That's cool. I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that a lot. It's um, yeah. I think there's a learning opportunity as well for a lot of these younger chefs to be able to have experience of building a kitchen and designing yeah. a kitchen. That's, I mean, where you're not going to get that every day, are you? So great, great idea. No, yeah, it's it's us. It just it, like I say, for me, it makes sense. You know, it, I don't have a. We don't like how me and Neil run the business. It's not about. It's not like a trickle down where we say and you all toe the line. It's it's very collaborative, so that's why it's allowed us to get people from you know non fine dining backgrounds, but to come and join us and, and really get involved and understand. And then in that process, they've been allowed to grow and they've grown incredibly well. I mean, some of the young kids that work with us, the growth from where they, when they started to where they are now, it's incredible. And that's only because everyone's given a voice and everyone's given an opportunity to get involved as opposed to it's very much, you know, trickle down. We tell you what to do and you just toe the line. Mm. so we get ev- everyone everyone's involved and everyone's voice matters and that's that's how we do it anyway i like it i like that a lot thank you for um thanks for that to begin with as well so um right. first up then uh, for the question is for those that who aren't familiar with yourself actar uh could you just explain a little bit about where you've come from um and also sort of what your background is and how you came into cooking all right, so uh, yeah, I'm uh, obviously anyone listening probably know from the title. I'm Axarizam, so um, I'm uh, chef director for uh, Afim and AI Restaurants. AI Restaurants, um, you know, we've got several projects that um, we're working on in the city at the moment. We've got two restaurants that are open. So Afim is based around <clears throat> a very unique take and a very personal take on Indian flavors and the the, the heritage of Indian cuisine and looking at its interaction with the rest of the world, the other communities and cultures that have helped shape Indian cuisine to what we know. And, and it's, you know, the, the, the journey of, the, <clears throat> of that cuisine over the last 4,000 years and how it's built up. And, and, and we touch on that and that's so it makes the way we cook and what we offer here totally unique. So it's, 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 it's a really nice, fun uh, signature project of mine. I mean, I've, it's something that I've been dreaming about or working towards for about 20 years. So it was nice to be able to actually kick it off in 2018 and it's uh in a year in we've got a michelin star which is fantastic and then uh Polperia, i spent a lot of time in latin america i travel a lot when when we could and um it's based around my love of uh meat beef really i'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of beef I, I look at beef like many look at wine and um it's a it's, it's basically yeah. a, a restaurant that celebrates beef from around the world um obviously beef that's reared ethically in line with our standards and um it just brings something totally unique to the city so we're very pleased to say we're 
one of the handful of restaurants, grill restaurants in in the country that are also listed on the Michelin Guide. So, you know, it's it, that's a great achievement. That's amazing. And so, from from my little bit of research that I've done about yourself, you got into cooking at the age of was it thirteen? You started. Yeah, so I started cooking uh, professionally. Well, when I say I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I started cooking professionally. I got into a professional kitchen at the age of thirteen, um, and and it's because yeah, I, d- I didn't really do too well. You know, I didn't like the the whole institution of standard academic academia. I didn't enjoy the school environment, and I had various issues. So I chose to um, yeah uh, leave leave school, and um, that's Neil back there. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so yes, I, I left school, um, which I know is is not right. But I was away with child. My parents had no uh, or very little control over me, to be honest. So I decided I didn't want to go back to school. Um, this was in the early nineties, and um, that, that was a time where they didn't really come looking for you, and my parents couldn't control me. So I found a, a home for myself in uh, in kitchens and. And it's all started there. And it's, you know, here we are today, 27 years later. Christ. And what was it that sort of, uh, that, that bit you at that time? What was the bug for, for food? Because, I mean, the, the kitchen environment for a 13-year-old is probably quite, quite hostile, quite, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I was in an environment, I was 13 years old, but I was in an environment with grown men, you know, people three times my age or more. Um but it, it, you know, it's it's about having the confidence to hold your own, and and also having the ability or the tenacity to 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 to, to cut it with them as well. So you know, you work just as hard, if not harder. You know, you had youth on your side, so I didn't get tired. I was able to push more and work harder, and 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 that that's what it's always been for me. You know, my my best friend has always been hard work. You know, you work hard and everything else falls in place. And, and that's what it is for me, because at the end of the day, I went into this environment. Yes. You know, when you're, you know, a, a third of the age of the average person in that space, it's easy to get pushed around. It's easy to get abused. It's easy to, to find. But if you're able to stand your own and stand your ground and then I also deliver the goodies, there's less and less. If anything, you put them on a the back foot. They feel intimidated by you. And before you know it, you're actually you're 18 years old, 19 years old, and you're telling people two, three times your age, that's how you should be doing it, or you're doing it wrong. And that's what, I mean, at 19, 20, you started, was it Karma? The Karma Project? So at, at, at that age, I was working for a, a group, um, uh, an, an Italian group. But up till then, I'd worked in uh, just mainstream curry restaurants. And then I worked uh, for this Italian group for... Uh, a year and a half, just under two years. And then I opened up Karma when I was 21, which is my father's restaurant. I took it off him. I went to the bank, got a loan, stripped it out, redid it. And it was a fantastic, it was an incredible success. You know, we had waiting lists for weeks. Um, you couldn't get a table Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And, you know, that, that, that literally kicked, kicked it off for me. So that was just my first foray into um the industry and trying to i try and almost stamp put my own stamp on my little patch in the industry or especially in birmingham and it's just kicked off from there so but it's it's that same process just going in there you you, you know you've got to be ballsy with it you've got to have confidence in yourself you've got to believe in yourself you don't believe in yourself 
no one else will. You know, it starts, everything starts at home. It starts, you know, when you put your head down to sleep at the end of the night, you, you, if you can honestly say, I've done a really good day's work, I've worked really hard, and tomorrow I'm going to work harder and I'm, and I'm going to achieve this, I'm going to make this happen. And that's the only way you can do it. You've got to make it happen for yourself. So for me, I was 21, I could have talked myself out of it. But in fact, I talked other people into it because my father wasn't willing to give up his restaurant. But he had no choice in the end because I kept going on and on and on. And the proposition that I put forward, he had nothing to lose because it was all my money or money that was tied to me. And I, I'd convinced my mother. And between myself and my mother, I can manage to convince my father. And and, and and that's it. And it'd sometimes be harder to convince your own family member than it would be a, a business partner or a bank manager, hey? Yeah, well, it was, it was easy. Like I say, it was it was easier to convince the bank manager because I got I had the money. Yeah. <laughs> but, but was, you know, the last last um, you know piece of the puzzle was getting the restaurant off my father, which I, I managed to do. He relented in the end, and um, yes, he was very skeptical. But ultimately, the way he looked at it, if it all went Pete Tong, he's got a newly decorated restaurant, and you know he's had three months off. Nice. And just go back in and he can carry on doing what he's doing, which, you know, he, he didn't have to in the end. And where did you, like, how did you know how to do that? Like, how, going from working hard in, in the kitchen environment from a very early age, like, where did you have the business skills or the mindset to be able to go in and go, right, I know what this vision is, I know how I'm going to do it, and I'm now going to, I'm now going to set this business up myself? The thing is, mate, I, th I think for us, look, I, I grew up in the in the 80s in inner city Birmingham, a uh, particular area called Aston, which I think to this day, it's still one of the most deprived, well, probably one of the most deprived areas in uh, in the country. Certainly one of the most deprived boroughs or areas in Birmingham and the Midlands. So when you come from poverty, when you come from nothing, nothing's a risk really. And yeah. it's that if you, if you come from poverty, you've got you've got nothing to lose, but you've got everything to gain. And in all fairness, all you've got for you going for you is your ability to work hard and your ability to push through. You know, because you have to you, it makes you resilient because you have to be resilient because your whole life struggle up till that age. It's always been a struggle. So. You know, Christmas has never happened. You know, birthdays never happened because, you know, it is what it is. The money's not there. Survival is the most important thing. Having three square meals and a roof over your head, that's, that's your birthday present. And so when you come from that to want to, 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 to get yourself out of that, there's only one thing you can do. You, 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 you can push yourself and make it happen. And, 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 and that's all it is, you know. Not everyone people say to, "Oh, how do you get? It? How do you do this?" And I, just, I don't do anything. I just work hard, and I and and I know I want to achieve. I I, I I because I have no choice because I know what that life used to be, and I don't want to go back to that life, and I certainly don't want that life for my son either. So, my only option is to keep working hard and and work hard until, you know, the day I can't anymore. My body says no. Until then, I, you know, that that's my drive and that's my goal. So. It, that that's how it comes so and obviously through that need that need because it's 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 not a want it becomes a need and need facilitates change and it facilitates growth 
you know, wants and desires, they're almost luxuries. Needs aren't. And that's where I come from. I come from a background where I needed to get out of that background. I needed to get out of that environment. And I wanted, because I wanted more for myself, I wanted more for my future than what I could see around me. No one was going to give it to me. So you got to go and make it happen for yourself. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's about that desire to make it happen. It doesn't mean that everything you do, you get it right straight away. You don't. But when it doesn't go right for you, you don't sit there and wallow in self-pity. You work out why it hasn't gone right. And then you say to yourself, well, next time, and I'm going to start on next time straight away, I'm not going to do that. And that's how, it, that, and that is it. You know, yeah, I was 21 years old. I've opened my first restaurant. And, and I had an idea what the market needed or what I felt there was a gap in the market for, which in the end ultimately led to me developing my style of cooking and, and creating a stamp for my, uh, you know, within the industry for, 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 for myself. And it all started off there. That's powerful. The yeah, I love the I love the resilience and the tenacity that you had. But as you say, if you haven't got much, you can't lose much, can you? It's a case of, you know, you're you're just driving yourself forward. That's exactly. But the thing is, I've got a lot of friends who've uh, come from the same background. So we've looked at, you know, from 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 Aston as a as a region and uh, as an area, and all you know, all coming from say immigrant parents or so. They're, they're they're you know they're they're their first generation, you know, their, their parents were immigrants, most of whom came over in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and they were born here. And what we all had growing up, I mean, we look back at our upbringing and, uh, and our childhood, and, you, you know, you look back at it with almost like a sense of nostalgia, how life great was great. But life was great because it was so simple, because, you know, we never... Because we live in a world now with social media and access to information, whereas back then you didn't. Your bubble was your world. That's what you knew of. And anything outside of that bubble came to you either via the news, adverts, or newspapers or magazines. Well, even then, like in, in an area like that, I don't think newspaper sales were massive either. So we had the 10 o'clock news. So we weren't really exposed to much of culture outside of that world. But what little we were, it gave us as a group of people the desire and want to try and experience that and and taste some of that and also enough to know that we didn't want to live our lives like we didn't want to spend the rest of our lives living in that area and living that life and you know and thankfully it's great to say you know amongst our, our peer group we've got people who've gone on to do incredible things you know work for some of the largest companies in the world um, you know, as consultants, as as CEOs, into banking, aeronautics, everything. And they've all gone and done really, really well. And it's because it's that worry or that, <clears throat> that desire to get away from what we know and to make sure we never have to go back there. And that's what it is. It's an interesting concept of, I mean, one that I believe quite strongly is that we're so far removed from the, those basic needs that you talked about in terms of being able to eat, sleep and be secure. We're so far removed from all that now and there's so much crap around the outside of it that, I mean, there's potential to say that it's probably damaging now, like we've got too much going on 
on the outside that we've forgotten those those basic drives, eh? Totally agree. So one of the things that one of the mantras in our in <clears throat> within our business or in our kitchen, and especially people who, who are within our uh, who work with us, and and it's it, you know one of the things that we always drum into people is we're lucky. We're so lucky. We live in this world where or in this part of the world by 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 the luck of where we where which hospital you know where we where we were born we've got certain privileges even though a lot of people forget that these are actually privileges but it is a privilege it's a privilege not to have to worry about where you're going to get water for that day to so, because you so you can drink so you're not thirsty it's a privilege to know that you can get three square meals it might not be foie gras and caviar and lobster but you can get three square meals there's people out there who don't have that there are people who wake up in the morning hoping that they'll make it through to lunch and they won't die or whether it be natural causes or 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 the catastrophes that are going on man-made catastrophes that are going on throughout the world and then at lunch they're worried they're going to make it through to the evening at night when they go to sleep they're they don't have to worry about whether they'll wake up in the morning. We don't have to worry about that. Mm. So what we should concentrate on is how can we be the best version of who we are? And how can we, taking this privilege that we have, how can we become the best and take this opportunity, be thankful for this opportunity and make the best of it? And that's what I always tell my guys. And that's why, you know, we've got guys who've come and work with us. They've spent three and a half, four years working at ZZ's and places like that, opening packets. They've spent two and a half, three years with us. And now they're moving off to be head chefs at other restaurants. And they've learned incredible things. We've got students who've worked with us. And they're now going to the colleges and, and doing classes. With, and, and their lecturers are learning from them. Because it's that thing. We teach them that it's important. Not, not only is it important, it's a moral duty to make sure you do everything you can every day to be better, be a better person, a better professional than you were the day before. It's not about life, not about just muddling through and, and getting by. It's about being the best because otherwise it's an injustice on the people who don't have that opportunity like you. And, 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 and that's the most important thing. And that's where a lot of people... Worry because they're too worried about, you know. I know, and I know it's you know we live in a consumer society, and you know I'm I'm a, you know my business is a product of that. I totally appreciate that, but we like to say you know we we, we not only do we sell a product, a service, but we sell uh, something that adds value to someone's life because when they come and dine with us, they learn something, they experience something, and and it's something that they take away. But you know <clears throat> when you've got people who are more concerned about what brands they can get hold of and what they're going to wear and and, and, and they're, they're so consumed with that over and above the most the important things in life. That's, that's where it becomes, that's where, and, and that's causing them to lose sleep or causing them to put untold pressure on the, themselves. That's where they need to have a reality check. So we've had kids who've come with us and, you know, we're known for paying extremely well. You know, some of our commies earn more than sous chefs in the city. and. They, they, they get this income and then the first thing to do, they go out and buy all these designer brands and they come in the, after the payday with all this f- stuff flashing all over. And I say to like one kid, I had to say to him, so you've spent 200, 250 quid on this belt. What else could you have done with that? Like, would, would a 50 quid belt hold your, your pants up just as well? Yeah. 
you're 18 years old or 19 years old. Why do you need that? Oh, yeah, but, you know, because we need it, you know, because, you know, people are going to look at it. I say, it's not about that. You know, we, we straight away teach them what's important and try and drill that into them. And they then go on and then, you know, this particular individual is, is still with us and he's doing extremely well, but he's so, so much more grounded, so much more responsible. He's managed to put money aside to buy himself a car, all these things. And he can afford to do that. And he's not worried about, can he afford to buy that next big ticket pair of trainers or whatever? Because he's, he's more concerned about adding value to his actual life. And those pressures have gone. And he's, because he hasn't got those pressures, he's not worried about those things or outside of work, he's not thinking about that. Outside of work, he's thinking about food. So it's making him a better professional. Yeah, and yeah. It's, 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 that's, what, that's what it should be about. You know, every, I think as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a people, as a, as a collective, we, we need, all need a reality check. And, and, and that automatically will lead on to better things for us as a nation. Well said. Well said. Thank well, you. It's, it's it's true. Look, I'm not being funny. Like I, I'm 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 a man of. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I've got means. You know, I, but earlier and whatever I speak of, I speak from my own experience. Earlier on, you know, in my twenties, I'd go out and spend. You know, on a night out, fifteen hundred two grand on an outfit every other week. What for? What, what, what did that do for me? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm happy walking around in H&M because I don't need to prove to some random person walking by me, oh, I've got money, I'm rich. Who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Mm. Well, you know, for me, my wealth is like people like Neil. He's my family. He's someone that's grown with me. You know, the, 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 the nearly 100 odd people that we work together that, to, to achieve this dream that's my wealth to be able to come to every end of every month, knowing that I'm able to pay them a really good salary and they're able to add value to their family and their everyone's lifestyle. That's wealth. Walking around with flashy designer gear and being able to impress people who have no consequence in your life. That's, that's pointless. And that's the thing that we, we, we teach everyone that works with us. And especially because we obviously work with a lot of young kids. There was one time, I think the average age in our kitchen, if you took me and Neil out, because we're both, well, I mean, Neil's not an old bastard, but I am. Um, <laughs> you know, if you took me and Neil out of it, the average age came to about 19. So it's a very young brigade. Because one of the part reasons for opening a theme was to reinvest in Birmingham. So we made an active decision to buy younger people who are starting in the career or have already started and maybe had potential and give them the opportunity to to build and grow and and so for us it's not only about teaching them about cooking it's giving them life lessons as well to build ultimately in the end a more stable brigade you know where we're, because if no one's worried about all the I guess, you know, the trappings of modern society and they're just more concerned about being a better professional and, and learning their art. Ultimately, in the end, it, it's, it's better for us as a business. And, and, and that, that, that's how it is. 
It's very progressive, intrinsic and in extrinsic value, basically. Like, you know, it's about investing in yourself, investing about the things that make you feel good and that matter in the world rather than all that crap that we get absolutely flooded with currently. Um, yeah, but like, you know, you've got the team upstairs with Neil. They've been given 300 grand to spend on a new kitchen. Like, because I trust them. Obviously, I'll oversee it and I'm, I'm very much part of that process. But the fact that there's a 19 year old kid knowing he's got this budget that he can work with to build a kitchen. And I'd love to have this chef. I've seen this. I'd love to have that. Great. Why do you need it? Well, I need it because of this, 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 this. So you're almost forcing them to start thinking about putting a little mini business plan together and to, to, to almost justify why they need this investment. Now, when they go on to open their own restaurant, when they have to put their business plan together, now they're talking about certain bits of equipment, the same applies for everything that they'll need. Do I need it? This is my budget. How do I make it stretch? What do I need? Okay, great. What do I really need? What do I want? And you start breaking it down. So in the long term, it's going to serve them well because it's getting them to think about it. That's what it's all about. Very good teacher. Thank you. Um, Just moving on. um, Mental health. In your own words, what does the subject of mental health mean to you? I think mental health, you know, for me, it's, it's not whether you're you're clinically diagnosed with 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 a with a uh, condition or not mental health is like any other type of health physical well-being for example i i know you can't tell now but i used to be heavily into working out and i know that for me you know that was you know, very much a very important part of my life. It used to make me feel good. And, you know, it obviously added value in my life, but felt healthier, more active and so on and so forth. But yeah, mental health, it's all about, you know, that, 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 yeah, that, that well-being in your mind, that peace of mind, being able to put your head down at the end of the day's work or at the end of the day and, and, and fall asleep and, and, and look forward to waking up the following morning. And, and that's what it's all about. And mental health, it's, you know, I say yes. You know, there are obviously issues with um, you know people who who have got uh, clinical you know conditions which are recognised that need treatment so on and so forth. But I think mental health, you know, everyone. Not I wouldn't don't want to use the word suffers because you know not everyone suffers, but everyone has the the. The, 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 there is a possibility of everyone falling into a negative mind frame. Now, for me, a positive mind frame and a negative. So if someone's got a negative mind frame, for me, that's for me, I look at that as a mental health issue because those are things that lead to bad spaces. So for me, that's why I've always lived my life in a very, very positive way. You know, if, if things go wrong, it's gone wrong. It is what it is. All right. How do you get through it? You know, whereas there are certain ways to deal with it where people will automatically start blaming the universe or, or if they're religious, whichever deity they, 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 they pray to or, or, or other people or, 
you know, the, the weather or whatever. And, and it, for me, it always starts, what I always say to everyone is, there are things in life you can control, there are things you can't. The things you can't control, don't worry about it. The things you can control, work on it. And, and, and that, is, that is how it should. So mental, for me, mental health, it's, I know it's a big thing at the moment, but for me, how I've always looked at it, it's, it's, about, it's about maintaining a positive mind frame. And it's easy not to, but it's actually quite easy to maintain a positive mind frame. Because I'll, if I give you this year, for example, or no, not this year, uh, a couple of years back, we had a fallout with the landlord at one of our restaurants because uh, the, the whole issue with cladding and so on and so forth in the building, you know, everything that stems from uh, the tragedy in Grenfell. Um, so the building that we're in was basically, it was built uh, very badly and it's it's one of the worst cases in the city. So, But at that point, the government hadn't uh, announced any help with funding or anything like that. So the onus was on all the tenants, whether you're a uh, leaseholder or or a commercial tenant. And we were, you know, hit with a bill that went into several hundreds of thousands of pounds and with no end to it. So we had a decision to make. And bear in mind, we've just spent 1.2 million quid on this restaurant. And seven, eight, eight, eight months in, they, they say, this is what we're going to bill you. And basically, you've got no choice, you know. You've got to pay. We've took legal advice on it and we had no choice on it. So the landlord was going to pass that on to us. So for us, you know, we, we had to make a decision. Do you, do you throw good money into, into this what potential pit? Because at that point, we didn't know where it's going to go. So we decided we just kind of to call it quits and walk away. Now, I could have sat there and wallowed in, in the loss that we had and 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 I'm thinking, oh my God, all this money that's being lost, you know, what am I going to do? And because it's easy to sit there and and worry about it and stress about it and think about what you've lost. But then I, well, I took that opportunity to create something new. So I didn't want to let all these people who work there lose their job because they relied on me for an income and so did their families. So whilst that was closing down, we opened another restaurant. So I looked at it as that, well, okay, that's got to go, but we'll turn this negative into a positive. So all these people went over to this new place. I got to create something new, which is something I enjoy doing. And, and, and you know what? What's gone is gone, but we're able to carry on. I've still got clothes on my back. I still feed myself and I've got a roof over my head. And thankfully, everyone who works on that business, so, so do they. So it's a win. And, and that's, that's what it should be about because it's, it's very easy because, you know, like, for example, it's, it's very simple where, you know, when people have, say, a bad day and they all like to get together with their friends and everyone says, oh, my God, it must have been terrible. My friends don't do that. As a, as a group of people, we don't sit there and say, oh, how was it? Was it tough? We must have been, oh, man. that Because there's almost like this, this ritual that we've developed as, as a culture where we almost like to sit and 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 wallow in in pity collectively why and that then leads to negative environments negative mindsets and then it collectively puts you all in a in a negative situation where your brain is deciding it 
everything is against it and emotions get involved and before you know it the world is against you no it's not and that's things that one of the most important things that we, as a group of friends we have we don't have that conversation we don't sit there oh my god how that must have been so tough oh god oh, i feel really sorry for you Oh, how did, what was work like for you? Yeah, I had this misunderstanding with this colleague. Oh, that's terrible. I bet he's got it in for you. Blah. We don't have these conversations. And guess what? We're all, we're all, and we've all come from nothing and we all struggle. I work seven days a week, not because, because I want to. I enjoy it. And I'm, I'm able to instill that in members of my family as well. You know, my son, he, he's committed to the things he does he's you know he's in a very good space as well because he's he's seen what i'm like and he in understands and appreciates building things creating things and helping other people and and adding value to the society that you're in so instead of we don't sit there and talk about how's your week been oh, I've, i had a fallout with this guy oh son what what's his problem or oh, this teacher was mean to me or oh, let's call the teacher and let's have a word with them you know we don't have these negative conversations we all go through it but everyone that's part and parcel of life which i just don't choose to concentrate on it on it or get or give it any time and guess what it works it works I understand what you're saying and i'm quite a positive person generally myself but i've also had mental illnesses so sure. whilst well, i do believe that perhaps your resilience in life and your the way that you look upon life does have a bearing on uh, your propensity to be able to cope and take control of situations and move on from situations but there are also other factors such as you know habitual stress and long-term stress and um previous previous learning uh, life lessons that you might have learned as a child that also come into into mental illness and you know for myself I've obviously built a business here and I'm helping people and I'm getting value from that but it doesn't mean that I'm a, I'm immune from from mental illness um, because I do from times you know I had a, a for the first time in my life a couple of weeks ago I had a, a anxiety attack now I, I don't get anxiety attacks they're, they're not a thing that happened to me I'm not an anxious person but stress stress was the gateway that basically I was, I was burning out. And that was a, a shot across the bowels, a warning sign to say, you're not looking after yourself. Now that in turn, like as a result of that sort of gateway into mental illness, your brain chemistry changes and you do start to look at things more negatively. And it's actually, a, a, and if you're ever interested, there's Ted talks on it, but there's neurological changes that happen within the brain that actually start pointing you towards negative um, thought processes so it's I do agree with you on one hand that you know it's life lessons and it's what you've what you've learned and how you look at things I think that's got a big part to play on it but also I think also from my learning over the last couple of years in this field there are certain situations like life events for example like you know losses and grief and you know big financial big things that rock your core during your lifetime if you get hit and everyone has different resilience levels, but if you get hit with those enough times, then that's when your thought processes start to change and you start to become a little bit more negative or you look at things and, you know, perhaps things aren't looking so rosy anymore. Um, but things like, for example, and I appreciate that. And I, what I, and I appreciate 
exactly what you're saying. And I know everyone deals with things differently because, you know, alas, we're a, a, a seven, seven and a half billion individuals. We are individuals. We're not cut from the same cloth. You know, every single person is different. But like for me, it's it's how I've trained my brain to to take deal with stress. Actually, I had a year or so out when I wasn't working and I missed not having to worry about something because stress actually drives me. And it's something that because I don't let it overrun me because I don't find it like a, like this black force that's consuming me. I find it as something that, that you're almost always like pushing against. It pushes you and you push back harder. And, and that's how it's always been. I, you know, I worked with my last group. I was there, what, 10 years I took a business from what 400k a year to over eight and a half million. After nearly 10 years there, I realized I was wasted. I've wasted 10 years of my life. Uh, it was a massive financial loss. It's something that we're going through the courts with because, um, you know, there, there were some major issues there. But I came out of that business wrongfully without nothing. So I could have sat there and thought, I was 10 years of my life wasted. I've got nothing left to my name, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or I could have decided, you know what, I've still got my my physical well-being. I'm, I'm there. I've got my hands. I've got my legs. I can still stand. I'm going to build it all again. And here we are, three years on. I've got two restaurants. I've got this community kitchen that we're building because we, we work heavily in supporting local char- charities in the best way we know how, which is buy food. Um, and then I've got another... A flagship project that's happening in Edgbaston, um, which will hopefully open early next year. So, and then uh, even throughout this year, we had plans to put up a hotel, which we had to scrap because of COVID. Remember, everything is going swimmingly, and then COVID came, and then we lost everything. We'd lost everything because remember, the government all they announced was, I mean, this the government have offered support for people on the PAYE scheme, so people who are employees which is great, but then the business still has to be standing in order to pass that money on. So the cost for the businesses, the government didn't support. So your rent still had to be paid. Your overhead still had to be maintained. When you've got, haven't got a penny coming in, you've got to find and make that happen. So at that point, yes, you know, we're in a, a position where we'd built up some cash reserves because, you know, the way we'd, we'd structured our business but that was soon running out because it was going out nothing was coming in to replenish that so we had to decide what we're going to do so we started this at-home business and i know it's it's a big thing now but we you know we started back end uh of of the first lockdown spring wasn't it yeah i read about that yeah, yeah. so because it was that decided decision what do we do we can because everyone else within say the industry were contact me, contacting me or messages in that set up little Facebook groups and little WhatsApp groups. And I'd, I'd kept myself out of it, to be honest with you, because it would, because I, you know, from friends who are in it, what I've heard, it was just basically a group of people moaning about how bad things are and how terrible the world is and how bad the, you know, the, 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 the cards are stacked against them. I stayed away from that. And I decided to build another business as a reaction to the pandemic. 
And, and here we are today. It's created 20 new jobs. So not only have we been able to maintain every employee that we've already had on our teams, we are, we're actually created and we're creating and ultimately with this project, we'll create 20 new jobs for people from the industry who's lost their jobs and need a new opportunity, or a lot of it for the, the younger team members will be people that we take from underprivileged backgrounds within the city. So I could have joined this group and we could have all had a winch and felt sorry for each other and had uh, Zoom drinks and finish off whatever stock was in the restaurant and tell each other how terrible it is and boo-hoo and, and to Boris Johnson and everyone else, or use that time to do something positive. And, you know, that, that black, you know, the stress I was telling you about and the negativity, that's, you can either succumb to or... So, uh, I decided to push back. And I said, and that, that, that is it. So it is about training yourself. It's about training your mind. Because life is... Life is full of challenges. I tell my son, you know, my son is a product of modern society. He's 13 years old. And, and I'm not going to, I don't want to go down the whole thing about snowflake generation or any of that. I'm not saying that, but I, I do appreciate that. You know, people, people are geared differently. And as, as generations go on, we change, we're evolving. We are evolving as a, as a people, as a, as a, as a, as a species. But one of the things I try and instill in my son is the ability to, to fight back against disappointment and fight against adversity because he doesn't have the worries that I have, I had when I was growing up. You know, I, I don't have to, you know, we, we, we never, he doesn't have that, he's never had that and he never, probably never will. But I actually make sure he lives his life in a way where he's often reminded of what life is potentially like that at that point. You know, and this is my son, you know, it's, 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 it's he loves sushi, but then he'll say, oh, dad, but, you know, he obviously knows sushi is expensive. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit expensive. But he knows we can go out for sushi all day, every day, but he still thinks about it. And so he's not spoiled or anything like as such. So he understands what to not have, how it feels. But he also appreciates the life that we have and what he has to do in order to maintain that and the challenges that he will go through in order to maintain that. So he's a 13-year-old kid sitting there talking to his mom about how he's going to balance his books when he's older, how he's going to pay his rent and how he's going to do this and what he's going to have to earn. And he asks these questions like, what will I have to earn in order to, what's your mortgage? How do I do this? And what are the costs? He's a 13-year-old kid, doesn't really need to know about all this stuff, but he asks about it because he's preparing himself for the challenges of life. It's impressive. I didn't learn that until I was 30, so fair play to him. <laughs> that's the thing but growing in it growing up as you know in a, in a, in in the abject poverty that we grew up you know we had to think about these things as young kids because we always dreamed hoped and aspired for more but we also had to understand what did we need to get there like so when you saw uh, you know a nice house somewhere or someone lives somewhere all right what how much does that house cost all right great what do you need to earn to buy that house? All right. Okay. How do you need to, what do you need to do to earn that sort of money? Like what career path do you have to go through? Or what do you have to go through to get there? And because from day dot, you didn't want to carry on 
living the way you lived. You know, I remember when we were at school, one of the school teachers, and I, you know, I don't know whether she's still alive or not, Mrs. Pugh and Mrs. Williams, this was when we were in primary school, and I still remember this. And, you know, they're sitting there talking about getting their groceries from M&S. And, and I'll be honest, you know, yes, we came from a, a poverty-stricken background, but, you know, we, as a family, we were all right. You know, my mother took good care of us, and she worked hard, my father worked hard to make sure you know, we weren't grubby kids and we were washed every day and we had fresh clothes on every day, whereas other families never had that. And I remember watching these two teachers talking and sniggering and talking about these kids in a way that, you know, looking down on them. And for me, that's, and I was probably about nine years old then. And I still remember that to this day. And for me, it was a case of, the early thought processes were, well, how do I get to where you are and over so I can look down on you if I have to? Not that I do look down on people, which I don't. But what I'm trying to say, at that very early age, that's sort of imprinted in me. And that's why nothing's ever really bothered me because my goal is very different. Or my goal has always been very different. And my goal is always about not ever ending there or being part of that ever again and everyone who surrounds me it's my goal to make sure they're able to do that as well it's about uplifting everyone around you that's why like i said we've got commie chefs in our in our kitchen who earn more actually more than some of the sous chefs in this city it's to make sure but they're, they're also told like when you do that don't 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 waste your money yeah. make it count do something positive to it and that's what it's all about it's about building that resilience and i yeah, think that's, that's the biggest thing yeah yeah that's, that's the story i think that's what that's where we're sort of losing it we're finding it easier as a nation as a people to well i think adversity is finding it easier to knock us down and we need to find that fight again. I think, you know, as a, as a nation, as a people, you know, I don't want to go because I wasn't around in the war, but, you know, I did a lot. Of, I studied the Second World War a lot and, and you know, especially a few years back when I did Great British Menu and spoke to a lot of veterans and spoke to them about their life and, and I spoke to them about, like, you know, when all this was going on, were you not scared? And they're like, no, you know, what Germany's there and whatever's happening is happening, but, you know, we're British, you know, we, we, we will fight, you know, that fighting spirit, that, that spirit to, to, to be able to, you know, to look in the, laugh in the face of adversity, look at it and say, you know, you come, come, you know, you, you come, come with what you've got, come with your best, because we will knock you back and we'll knock you down. And that's, that's the attitude that we should always maintain. Life mm. is going to, I keep telling my son and I keep all these young kids and I said, life is going to throw so much at you. It's going to throw so much at you and you can't control it, but you've got to be able to take it and you've got to be able to take it and get up again. As long as you're breathing, you've got to be able to get up again. And that's what it's all about. And, and, and if we can almost train people into getting that mindset again, I think as a people, we will do so much better. So whether that's something that needs to be bought into, I don't know, how you'd instill that in a nation, how you instill that in, 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 in a whole generation. I don't know how you do it, but I, 
I, I do it to the people who surround me, whether that be families, friends, imp- uh, you know, part of my team. That's the, the other people, my sphere of influence. So everyone's got a sphere of influence. And if everyone chose to do that within their own collective circle, in it's not going to happen overnight, but in, in years to come, we, I think we can almost change the culture of the people. And the things that we have to learn to do as well, like within our industry, and I know, you know, our industry is given a, especially kitchens are given a bit of a bad rap because they're tough environments to be in and blah, blah, blah. Every time someone told me something I did wasn't good enough, I never took that as a personal insult. If they told me my face wasn't good enough or my skin color wasn't good enough or my cultural background was an issue, then that's a personal insult. Then you can say, yeah, you know what? That's bullying. And I have been in situations where because of my, you know, I'm a Brummie born and bred, but I can't deny my skin tone and my, my, my surname and my name. So with that comes certain connotations and certain chefs have made certain, certain comments over the years about me and my ability or my, my potential. Well, no doubt they all look at it now and I think I'm doing all right. And most of them are, well, like I say, you know, the commies that work with us, they're better chefs than they'll ever be. So, you know, my words to them are, you know, well, fuck off. But it's that thing where we have this issue here is where I think we need to start looking at feedback as feedback. And once again, it's you're supposed to take that feedback and say, you know what? All right. You told me what I did wasn't right. Well, I'll make sure I never do that again and I'll do it better. And to give you an example, we had a young commie and we, we are, our doors are open to everyone. And if you want it, whether we need you or not, we'll take you on. And we will, we spent in the first two years over a quarter of a million quid on basically commies and trainees, which we don't have to because they don't really add any value until they actually learn. Hmm. And it normally takes about a year and a half, two years for them to actually add value because then you can actually leave them somewhere and leave them to do certain tasks that you don't have to watch over them. Because remember, if someone's watching over them and doing it with them, you're paying two people to do the same job. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, we've spent, yeah, about a quarter of a million quid on, uh, on commies and stuff. And so our doors are always open. If you want it, you knock on our door and you say you want it, and you can convince us you want it bad enough, we'll let you in. Whether we need you or not, we'll let you in. But when you're in, you have to prove that you want it. So we had like recently, well, it's recently last year, a guy came, sent me a few messages on Instagram, and I really want to, I've been in this environment for about four or five years, and I'm, I'm ready to push, because I, I know I can give this industry so much more, I can deliver more, I, I, you know, I want to, reach my potential and, and and open those floodgates of creativity the environment that i'm in i don't have the equipment i don't get the ingredients can i come great came in had an interview same old same old great but then when he started with us for the three weeks he was with us he basically just stood around and watched people or didn't really want to get involved if you give him one job like it took him nearly four hours to zest and um it's not juice, what we do to the lime where we used to get the each, you know, if you ever cut a lime open, you got these sacks with the juice to almost take them out and we used to drop them into nitrogen. So when you actually, you know, each individual, um, I don't know what they're called, in a sack of juice. Like, it's like a segment in a segment, isn't it? Segment, yeah. A segment in a segment. So, yeah. so it's quite intricate, but it shouldn't, for to do seven limes, it shouldn't take you four hours or it shouldn't take you 
two and a half hours to Brunoir 24 shallots. You know, and 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 what I tried to explain to the guy at the end, end of his three weeks with us is to want it isn't enough. You've got to then have to be able to go and get it. So we gave you the opportunity, we let you in. We've given you all the tools, we've given the opportunity, we've given you the ingredients, we've given you, but you chose, you, you've not shown, you, you've not walked the walk, you've just talked the talk. And now you've been told, all right, there you go, get involved, and you've not done it. You know, and 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 then that person couldn't understand why I had the opinion that I had. And that person then took it as a negative instead of actually saying, turning up the following day, saying, okay, I appreciate your feedback. And yes, I've been here for three weeks. You've given me three weeks to build this opinion of me. Give me three weeks to win you back. Mm. Instead, that person chose to take that as a negative. Oh, well, uh, you know, I've given you my life. I said, well, you haven't given me your life. You, you, you've given me three weeks and you've just come in and you've been paid for that time. And in that time you've been in, you've not done anything. You know, so I'm not sure how you felt you've given me your life and you've given me everything because you haven't. I've only known you for three weeks. But automatically his brain took him to the other thing, self-pity. And that's, 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 a, that's a big problem. And that's what we see a lot of in our industry now. And I know a lot of chefs get, a, you know, or, or kitchens get a bad rap for, for being brutal environments. But it's not about brutal. It's not about brutality. It's about honesty. Honesty, like with my son, I don't tell him taking part that counts. Oh, yeah, you've done great, but you could do better. It's a case of, well, son, do you really think you could do better? Can you do better? Could you have done better? Could you have con Yes, it, honestly, I could have. And that's what it's all about. It's about that honesty. You've got to be honest with yourself. And where the problem lies here is, I think, Kitchens and kitchen environments, because you know the kitchens that we all still think about, they don't exist. That's gone, man. And I think we, I don't know why people still think about that, because in reality, I've got friends who've been in the trade as long as I have, and I've seen how they've changed. And I know what they were 20 years ago, what they were like as chefs 20 years ago, but they're not those chefs now. Mm. And yes, you know, 20 years ago, yes, it was brutal, it was physical. It was abusive. You know, people got beaten up for getting a bit of prep wrong. You know, people had shit thrown at them. They had, you know, burnt, whatever. But that was back then. You're not doing, you know, for the last, no one's doing that now. But whereas now what's become so-called known as the brutal kitchen environment is when someone's turning around and giving you a bit of honesty. And we should. Unless someone's honest with you, you will never become a better person or a better chef or a better professional. Because if someone's turning around and saying, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, it's all right, yeah, cool, and then actually deep in their heart saying, well, actually, no, then what's the point? Because mm. if you're constantly walking around telling you, thinking you're doing a good job, then there's no impetus for you to become better because you're already doing a good job. And where we're finding issues is, within the industry and, and you know, new people who do come in is they're unable to take that feedback and, and, and turn it into something positive. Whereas the guys who do, they're, they're in our team. Like I said, we've got a, a, a very young team. 
And, you know, they're all sitting together, spending 300 grand on my money, putting a kitchen together that's theirs. You know, and, and that's what it is. So that clearly it can work and it does work. It's those who choose to take that feedback for the honest feedback that it is and turn it into a positive. And then there are those who tend to look at it and say, well, I'm either being victimized or that's unfair or I'm being bullied because that's like the thing that it is now. I can, I can never do anything right. Well, it's not about never do anything right. Everyone doesn't do everything right every time either. I don't get everything right every time either. I've been doing it for 27 years. When I'm trying new stuff, I get it wrong. But I keep getting it wrong until I get it right. But when I get it right, I get it right. And then that's that. And then I'll move on to something else that I'll get wrong a few times before I get that right. You know? And that's yeah, that yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, but I don't, I don't sit down and tell myself, I've, my first go, yeah, it's right, it's great. I've done it, I'm fantastic. And, and, and that's, 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 that's uh, something that I, you know, obviously hospitality is my, in, my, my life, it's my industry, and it's everything that I am. And, I, you know, sometimes I feel it's a bit unfair that the old, the old reputation for the brutal environments that they were still stand today. Because yes, there might be a few cases of it. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. Like, how many kitchens are there in this country? Like thousands, thousands, tens yeah. and tens and tens of thousands. You can't answer for everyone. It's like saying not every office environment is everyone's hugs and high fives. You know, they're, 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 you know, there's good and bad everywhere. It's human nature. Yeah. But it's, I think it's unfair to tar an entire nation, or not, uh, not a nation, an entire sector within our our economy, within our our, our I don't know, our our country and our world as being a particular group of people acting in a particular way. That's that's not fair. It's not right. But yes, kitchens need to be honest and people need to be able to take honest feedback and turn that into a positive. So from where I where I see it and the work that we've been doing is uh, the whole reason why the Burnt Chef project started was it was identified early on a couple of years ago that when I was working with colleges, less and less students were coming into college. And we were noticing that people were leaving the industry on the backside of things a lot sooner. You know, you weren't getting the 50s and the 60s in, in kitchens anymore. It was like leaving at mid 30s. So we were having less people coming in and more people going out sooner. And that's why the Birch Chef project started was to identify the reason why that was happening. Now, it's come down to the fact that predominantly it's mental health, but mental health has been caused. The kitchens have got a hell of a lot better than they were, even when I started in the industry 10 years ago. Um, and you're right. But it still has the same. It still has a reputation for that to a certain degree. So my question to you is, how do we tackle those that are leaving the industry earlier, and how do we encourage those that are coming into the industry to be more resilient? All right. First things first. How do we tackle those who are leaving the industry earlier? It's about work-life balance, and I think. You know, I, I grew up when everything wasn't open 24-7, believe it or not. Sundays were Sundays where no one was fucking open. No one expected you to be open. Do you understand mm -hmm. what I mean? I think sounds like, you know, it's, it's this 
almost this bullshit Americanized consumerism where everything is available every time, whenever you want it, and you're almost expected to. No, we need to just turn around and, and say to people, as an industry, these are the days we're going to work. Like my restaurants are open from Wednesday to Saturday. We work four nights, we do two lunches. That's enough mm-hmm. for me. Great for everyone. They get their Sundays. They, they get early part of the week to themselves. Work-life balance instead. They get to see their girlfriends, whether they like them or not. You know, they get to spend time with their family. They get, get to spend time with their friends. And that, that's, what, that's what it's all about. But, you know, when you've got restaurants open seven days of the week because everyone expects you to be open seven days of the week, and we see this as well because we've got this at, at home business and someone will email on, say, a Sunday and because no one's responded to them throughout Sunday and it's become Monday, that by Monday morning you get another three emails from them. I think this service is disgusting, it's terrible. I emailed, it's been 24 hours and you've not responded back to my query. Well, it's a Sunday. People will take time off work. But yeah. you know where that comes from? It's because people, especially in our industry, and you know whose fault it is? It's our fucking industry's fault. Who t- Yes, they might tell you we want you to be open seven days a week, day and night. Why the fuck are you doing it? Mm. And I tell you why, because more and more, the industry has moved away from the hands of the independents and it's become heavily commercialized. Now, commercial entities, it's all about ROI for every penny they spend. So they're saying, if I'm paying rent on the Sunday, why am I closed on the Sunday? Sunday needs to give me a return. So next thing you know, you're open. Like, you know, one thing that really pissed me off, Christmas Day. I, I do not believe in restaurants opening Christmas Day. None of my businesses ever open on Christmas Day. It breaks my heart when I hear people having to work till Christmas Day. Because when I grew up, Christmas Day was the day where the entire country stopped. Apart from the police and the, 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 the NHS and, you know, the, uh, there's a fire service, everyone else came to a stop. So it meant... Everyone had to spend time with the family, but they were away from work. Whereas now, more and more restaurants, year and year and year, restaurants, pubs, whatever, are open on Christmas Day. Why? Yeah. And that's, that's where the problem is. So we can't blame, you can't blame, say, the culture for, for having people leaving the industry. The fault lies at the people who are steering the industry. And sadly, that's why I always say to all my friends who've got independent restaurants, I say, why are you open seven days a week? There's no need. Oh, yeah, but on Sunday we'll miss out on this. Don't worry about it. It'll make, it'll make up for it. Because I could have opened, and when I first opened, we were open. We were open six days a week, then that went down to five, now it's gone down, down to four, because I couldn't see the point of it. You know, when we first opened, the reason why we were open six, because I had a... a, a, a an ops manager or an ops director who was adamant about it. And we, we, we clashed over it. And within the space of a year, he's no longer with us. And, and now we're doing what we do. We we're open four days a week. We're still serving incredible food. The business still pays for itself. Everyone's fucking happy. And that's why I say to everyone, and I, I think where the, the biggest issue has been is because our industry has moved away from an industry of passion to an industry that's been heavily commercialized by, and anyone who knows me will know, I hate chains, I hate conglomerates, I hate, I hate large commercial groups. I believe our industry is an industry of passion, built on passion, not, not 
people look, looking at spreadsheets, mm. worried about turning a profit. You know, and I know I understand like you know that might sound naive. Well, business is all about profit. Well, not necessarily. It's about how you go about making that profit and what you regard as profit. You know, and when you've got you know chains with hundreds of, and I know a lot of people say, oh, but these chains employ a lot of people. Well, believe it or not, if this, if if the high streets weren't full of shit chains, you get you probably wouldn't get. And the chains don't actually employ a lot of people because for every cover they serve, you know, they probably employ about a third of what an independent would do because they most of their stuff come ready-made. Their processes are designed to be as efficient as possible. So, no, I don't believe in that. What would have happened, uh, a wonderful independent restaurant would have come up. I'm not saying independence is always better, but they'll come and go. But the good ones will stay, the bad ones will go, and the consumer will make that decision. But at least you won't get row after row after row of restaurants from city to city to city on every fucking high street that's essentially serving you a ready meal. And, and, and so that, that's where the fault is. So when we talk about people leaving the, our industry, we as an industry have to fight back and say no. As a, as, a, as a group of people, we have to stand up and say no. As chefs, as hospitality individuals, we have to say no. We are only going to... And sadly, that means, yeah, sorry, you're going to have to cook for yourself and your family on a Sunday and a Monday and maybe a Tuesday. But guess what? It's a nice thing to be able to cook at home. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And that's what I think. That's my opinion anyway. And then to get young kids coming in, I mean, that, that's, that's a real difficult one because because of what's happened over the last 20 to 30 years, because this industry has been known to become one that takes people and chews their lives up and then chews them up and then spits them out because, you know, I'm sick and tired of hearing songs and, 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 and you know, like all my people regaling, oh yeah, I, you know, I've worked 130 hours this week. No, you shouldn't have to work 130 fucking hours because you shouldn't be open 130 hours. You know, it shouldn't happen. So that's what stopped people coming into the industry because of the bloody hours. And it all it needs a short, sharp shock and a restart. And guess what we've had? We've had a year worth of bloody lockdowns. And guess what we can do? We can do that now. Yeah. Well said. You know, when people have had a year of fending for themselves and cooking at home and, and learning how to cook, I mean, you couldn't get fucking flour in the supermarket because everyone's baking. Great, they've learned. Let them fucking carry on. They can do that on a Sunday, a Monday, and a Tuesday. You know, whatever. At least, you know, don't be open seven days a week. You know, just even five days a week, at least, you know, you're not going to drag someone in on their days off or whatever because you're short or you've had loads of bookings coming in. If you're closed, you're closed. There's no need for anyone to be in. People can have that time off. I think it's exactly right. That's, 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 that's my simplistic solution. I think perfectly and eloquently summarised as well. I'm I'm fully on board with that. I mean, one thing that we one thing that we do, I mean, we've trained probably well, it's coming up to six hundred students now across catering colleges across the UK. Um, and one thing that we do tell these these kids, so Adam Simmons and I, when we talk to them, we're like, look, if you're working for a business that are asking you to bleed your way in and bleed your way out of that door after 80 hour weeks, then perhaps you should think about leaving 
and they're finding a business that will give you that that work-life balance and it won't treat you like a piece of meat and we're trying to educate these kids at 15 16 17 18 that it's about you you need to realize that the work environment hospitality isn't that one business that you walk into at the age of 18 or 17 and start working for it could be another business down the road it could be another business in another city but there are businesses out there like from, from the sound of things you you hit the nail on the head so working for yourself or working for any of the great guests that we've had on here and going to these people and saying yeah it's still going to be hard work and you're still going to have to work hard and you might have to do longer hours than you expect and you might have to you know fuck your ideas off if you're not pulling your weight but you will be valued as an individual and you'll be looked after as an individual and you will be treated fairly as opposed to getting the shit kicked out of you basically and and just being treated like a number just so that you can provide a return on your on your hands and your feet and your body um so i think you yeah i think you've summarized it perfectly i don't think there's anything more to add to that as well i think it's a it's a great suggestion um and we'll continue to try and educate kids and and build the resilience and who knows i mean a lot of these colleges are asking the burnt chef project to come back and do more talks and it might be a case that actually we get the likes of yourselves even if it's like a via zoom to sit down and have a chat with these kids and be like look it's not easy but it's rewarding and this is what you can get from it and this is what you should be looking out for and fuck it come and work for us for a week two weeks and see what see what it can be like and that that could be quite you know quite useful for them i reckon i i think as i say you made a you've made a fantastic point taking us a little bit off on a different tangent um Akhtar, what's uh what other hobbies or interests that you have specifically outside of your chosen profession what are you I, I sense you're a very intelligent man, so there must be a few things in there. Well, I, I would say, I think one of the most things I've enjoyed most, and it's the hard work I've put in that's allowed me to do that. And I know it sounds really cliche, but and it sounds like, you know, whatever. But yeah, I do love traveling. And I, I, I spent, when I can, I spend a lot of time traveling to, traveling around the world and, 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 learning about new cultures and learning about their food and that's a really important part of my life and i think it's part of my makeup for sure um i love people uh, understanding people i think one of the things i've always done I've, i guess it started off from a younger age when i had an interest in politics and then through politics it's a case of how do politicians shape the the opinions of a nation like and it's almost understanding that art and how it, what it is. And, and, and so understanding the trigger mechanisms that make people do things and the, the, the human mind and, you know, reactions to actions and, and not, not saying so you can predict what people do, but understanding the human condition, that's always been a big thing of mine. So I've always been really lucky. I've, you know, obviously this, this, this whole situation has been really tough but I've always surrounded myself with a lot of people with different, with a very diverse background. So I can, so I can understand people and understand people's stories and, 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 and appreciate where they've come from and what makes them tick the way it ticks and, and learn from that if I can. So, yeah, th those are, those are my big things really. I've, uh, and obviously the, my biggest love is food. I've, you know, it, it's what I do, you know, and if we ask my son, you know, what, 
tell me about your dad all he says he cooks so that that's you know i'm i'm, I'm pretty simple to that kid <laughs> so, you know I, I like to go but yeah so for, for me those are the uh you know the outside of work it's it is basically it's people and spending time with people and people from all walks of life all around the world and understanding and 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 and, and, and gleaning from them um and you know as as a as as a chef i bought to to the city i bought in in over my career so many firsts for the city and that all came from traveling and it came from meeting people from these different cultures and learning from them like everywhere i go i always take cookery classes and while well, spend time at like when i was in argentina I learned about butchery there and i learned about you know from chefs there cooking and tried to spend some time with the cooking i was in thailand i spent days with a uh, lovely lady who who i still speak to because i love thai food uh, so pretty much as a nation we do um and i'm learning from her and i still speak to her now so i spent a couple of days in a cookery school just you know i could turn around so i'm a chef give me the ingredients i'll knock it out but no i went and spent the day with the two days with her learning from her and and that's that's what makes it so one of the products that i'm working on for my at home range is a thai range because i know it's something that i enjoy doing i i enjoy cooking i enjoy eating it so something that was a passion and something that i did as a yeah a bit of fun i'm turning that into something that's commercial so it's it's yeah my 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 business and my personal life it's 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 one it's intertwined yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. So I don't know that age old adage, you know, when, once you find something that you enjoy, you'll never work a day ever. And it is, <laughs> it is almost like that. I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't find it like the time, the, the, the most difficult time in my life was that time where I'd left my last business, uh, last group and many would say well that's a great time because you you had best part of the year doing absolutely nothing just traveling and 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 drinking but then that that became a problem because all I was doing is traveling or I was just basically getting drunk around the world now there had to be a moment where you have that understand that realization like what actually what am i doing i'm just going around the world getting drunk yeah i've got a problem here and what i said I realized I missed the stress. I missed worrying about something. I missed, I missed having to deal with problems to solve a problem. Like I like puzzles. I like solving problems. That's very much like something that makes me tick. So just random problems. Like even when I was a kid, if something was broken, I'd strip it apart to learn how it's, how it works and try and put it back together to make it work. Or even if something that wasn't broken, I'd break it. And obviously, much to my parents' dismay, because obviously, you know, money wasn't something that we could throw around. So, you know, it 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 it, it, it was terribly wasteful that time. But it was part and parcel of my my characteristic. I like I like dealing with problems, and you know, same with Neil and and Andrew, who were, were basically I don't know. I don't want to use the term management team because I don't like these sort of. Uh, these titles as such but you know between myself neil and frost that's what we do you know we, we just we like pro solving problems and that's why i think as 
three people we get on so well. I mean, Neil and I, well over 10 years, we've been friends for a lot longer, but we've been working for 10 years or so. And, and you know, we both work so well together because, it, you know, no one sits there when a problem comes up thinking what we're going to do, what we're going to do. It's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Like when COVID hit, that was a problem to solve. All right. So exciting. we knew the sort of food that we did, it doesn't really translate to the home. You can't really, because especially when you're working with spices and the way we work with it as well, there's a very small window when it's actually nice. After that, it's just okay. So I didn't want to send people nice food, you know, uh, sorry, uh, just okay food. I wanted uh, to, and that represented my food. I didn't. So that's why we, the products that we, and the business that we ended up coming up with is completely different to what we actually do in the restaurants, completely different to what we're known for. You know, I'm not known as a curry chef. That's not what I do. But have I traveled India? Yes, I have. Do I enjoy curry? Yes. Do, does my, has my mother taught me a lot? Yes. So we built a business around recipes from my mother and recipe from my travels in India. So I'd often go to India where I'd spend three, three weeks or so. And we'd spend two, three, four days in each state and just travel our way through. And it was, I mean, the carbon footprint was terrible, but we we traveled all of India. We were on a plane every other day or every two days and going from region to region. But I ate a lot of curry and I learned how to cook a lot of different types of curries and all the regional differences. So we built a business around that. And so, so like I say, we had a problem. The problem was dealing with COVID. Let's find a solution solution was there but then in that solution came many problems which we're still trying to fix so as we're getting busier and busier we've got to think about packaging issues so we had a lot of uh, hit back from our customers about the environmental fact that you know these backpack bags they're not recycled made out of recycled materials and so on and so forth so we need to find something that's more eco-friendly so we found an eco-friendly packaging system that's made from recycled materials but then that has issues in transit so we're now looking at problems that's a problem that we're having to solve so we're working on that but is that gonna overtake what we're doing our end goal no we, we yes it's a problem yes we've got to solve it have we got many solutions plus potential solutions in front of us yes we have and they're not all going to come through but one of them will and when that one comes through, the solution comes through, then we're, then we're going to have the problem. How are we going to pay for it? <laughs> so there's a problem after problem after problem. But there's, with each problem, there's always a solution. And it the fun is finding, the, 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 the game is finding that solution. Let's find that solution. And, 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 and that's, that's how it is. It's, I don't know, that's, 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 that's me. And I like a good drink. <laughs> it sounds like it enough to travel the world for but no yeah. it's i mean it resonates with me you're talking to me about backpack problems and the first thing i'm thinking about is how i can help you solve that problem and and that's what it was like with mental health kept getting told time and time again by people it is the way it is it's there's never going to change just leave it alone and i was like no that's yeah. like a red rag to a bull so to draw this to a neat close then, um, the last question that I ask everyone is uh, if you could give us some advice to a 16 or 18 year old self, what would it be? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, 
I'll be honest with you, like, the way I look at it, that my life, I don't have any regrets. Even the bad things that have happened in my life, they've, they've shaped the life I have today. So whatever I was getting up to, whether it's good or bad, it amounts to something and it leads you to where you are today. And I'm happy in the space that I'm in. So the mistakes, you have to make mistakes in life. So I wouldn't go back to this kid and say, don't do this, don't do that, because he needed to make those mistakes to learn, to be able to now today sit back and be able to give other people the benefit of those mistakes that I've made. And at least when I say it now to someone, when I say to one of the kids, don't do this, because this is what it ends up like, and this is what we all do. I've walked the walk. I'm not saying it because I heard someone else say it. Hmm. And they know that as well. I'm not saying it because I'm just saying because it's a, a, something I've picked up. They know I've been through it. And, and that's why. So, yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I live my life, no regrets. It is what it is. Even, you know, the good and the bad. The bad needs to happen for the good to happen. Nice. I think that brings, okay. it, brings it. One thing I would say is never open a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. That's bad. <laughs> I tell you what, do you know when, when COVID was coming? Because remember, I'll be honest with you, this is really bad on my part. You know, we've had, you know, all the other, like we had bird flu, swine flu, and it sort of came and it, it built up, you know, even with MERS and, and, and you know, when... Uh, it sort of started building some traction and then it just went away, right? Mm. And no one saw COVID coming and doing what it's done. Because, you know, bear in mind that we've, we've had things that could have potentially become what is COVID today, like you know, become a pandemic mm. over the years. And so that's why I opened the restaurant in March because I thought, okay, I know this is happening, but as a nation, as a people, we didn't think, we thought, okay, we'll find ways around it, and it'll not not that it'll go away, but it'll happen, but it'll be controlled. Who would have thought it, it'll bring the uh, the world to a standstill? So yeah, that's the only thing I'd say. Don't know from restaurants in pandemics. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate your time, and it's been it's been great chatting to you and getting to know you. So oh, you're welcome. Us. Have a great weekend, mate. Cool. You too. I'll Cheers, see you later. Bye. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you wanted to learn more about the Burnt Chef Project, head over to our website www.theburntchefproject.com where you'll find a whole host of resources and information relating to well-being and mental health within hospitality. Whilst you're there, why not visit our shop and support us by purchasing some branded merchandise, which we then use the profits to fund our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental health within the hospitality industry. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you again next week.